Blog Talk Radio. Hey, everybody, it's your girl, Side Brown. Welcome to Life Remixed Radio. Here we are. Another day, another looking, another day checking out this whole AIG fiasco. I mean, for those of you who listened to the show yesterday, you know, I heard Cy is off the chain, Cy is angry. I was angry um, yesterday, and today I just have to do part two of my in-depth look at AIG and what happened. And I think it's very important for us to know ang- all anger and upsetness aside, this country is dealing with a lot of underlying issues, and when we start to deal with all of the stuff that's under the surface, we're really going to start to understand what's going on. So, in the spirit of Politics Remix Part 2, let's get into this show. As we as proceed, we proceed oh. to give you what you need. One boy, aka DJ Rabbit, representing Rabbit Productions, hanging out chilling with my girl Side Buggy. That's right, Side Brown on politicsremix.com. Say word. Word. Big shout out to Dewan, who is, well, we have two Dewans. One Dewan does our uh, Bible study on Thursday, but that's Dewan, uh, the engineer and uh, producer of the show. <laughs> so, a uh, big shout out to him who does that drop, and I play that drop every time I'm getting ready to talk about politics and start digging in these politicians' back. Okay, let's get it going. Let me see what's going on in the chat room. The chat room is nice and quiet. Big shout out to the guests that we have, just um, so you can really enjoy this conversation and enjoy the show. Please feel free to create a username and passcode. That way I can properly acknowledge you and welcome you into the show. And don't forget, this show can always be downloaded through iTunes. And after yesterday's show, I told everybody, please download this show for the archives because I just was on a rant and a rave. So download the show. That way you can hear, and I actually provided yesterday, a timeline of what went down with AIG, like step by step from October all the way through to now. Uh, so, so it's important that we understand that we can't just rabble-rouse everybody. It's important to understand that we all just can't be like Buster Rhymes, rah, rah, rah. Like we have to look at this from a level head and from a level perspective so we can get to the real underlying issues because right now it's, it's no secret that there's some shady stuff going on. And what happens is, especially with people of color, I'm going to say black people, they give us two weeks to vent, give us two weeks to complain, give us a minute to to get it off our chest. And once we feel that we've said all that we can say, it goes back to business as usual. And I pay too much money in taxes to give my money to AIG, and I'm struggling. (laughs) Big shout. Shout out to High Road in the chat room who said, what's up, Cy? Bust the rhymes? Yeah, get the heater. 
I got to get it out. And today is the day that we're talking about this from a level perspective, not necessarily from my position of anger <laughs> and infuriation where I was yesterday. Uh, I'm a little happier with the Obama administration because they're actually quite angry and I use that word loosely, or incensed is probably a better word, that this is out of control, this should not be. There's so many layers to this, and there's so many different chambers of this web of deception that it's difficult to pinpoint anything, anybody, or any one entity. And I found out today that this whole bailout, averaging about 180 billion dollars is almost three times the size of our homeland defense budget, which is 50 billion. You do the math. 50 billion for the Department of Homeland Security versus 180 billion for AIG. So now how can we have cabinet level positions over Defense, Secretary of State, Ways and Means, and all of these other entities in our government, but yet there's no department or no individual assigned to, AI, to overseeing this AIG bailout, or furthermore, somebody to oversee the totality of these bailouts. And here's where it gets a little precarious. I've in my continuing research and learning about what's going on with AIG, I'm finding that AIG is really just a, is, is, is a name. It's just the name or the umbrella of at least, I'm guessing, 100 smaller entities. And this is what's happening. Some divisions of this company are making money. Others are not. Now, the the, the division under the umbrella of AIG, their financial services that would got involved with these derivatives and these mortgages, lost money, lost so much money that it's creating a vast imbalance on their balance sheet. So what I believe has happened is that they have said because these losses have been so grave that it's now creating a challenge with all of their other functioning entities. And in order to keep those functioning entities moving, there has to be some type of a bailout. There has to be some type of a cash lifeline extended in order for there to be a certain level of perpetuity for AIG. Now, let's look at it this way. And Hyrold put in the chat room, the present economic conditions have been decades in the making. They have been working up to this for decades. I totally agree with you. I totally agree with you. And big shout-out to Curvy Queen, who's actually um, listening through her cell phone. So thank you. I see you on the switchboard. Um, a, a lot of this stems back to deregulation. A lot of this stems back to deregulation. The, the Republicans, for the most part, are about less government intervention, hands off, let business run business. So when we look at all of those things and everything is deregulated, that means there's no oversight. And this, is, this situation, cataclysmic 
situation we're dealing with embodies exactly what we're going through when there is absolutely no deregulation. That's as though I go away for the weekend, leave my kids' money on the table, and just flake out, don't call, don't check in, don't threaten to have the neighbors come over. What are my kids going to do? They're going to have, they're going to, you know how you say cut a rug, roll up the carpet? This is exactly what's going to happen. And that's exactly what we did to big business. The last eight years, under the direction of President Bush, he was so business friendly between the lobbyists, between concessions, between tax abatements, that business was allowed to run amok. And remember I said yesterday that I do not believe in any way, shape, or form that George Bush did dislike black people. The only color he saw was green. And because of that, if your green did not match his green, this is what happened. So now let's look at it from a perspective of where do we go from here? Where do we go now that we're stuck, we're now in the can for all this money, and we're now in a situation where our kids and our kids' kids and our kids' kids' kids, kids are in debt. Over the past weekend, uh, China actually expressed in, uh, concern about the stability of our economy. How doesn't that doesn't that um, make anybody say, "Wait a minute"? If China is even questioning it publicly, if they're questioning it publicly, what does that mean for our standing in the world? You know, it's it's. Um, it's frustrating. I want to read to you a couple things. Hold on. Let me pull it up on my screen. Give me one second, everybody. Hold on. One second. Uh, okay. Let me pull this up. I want to read to you. I'm not want to. I'm about to read to you a piece by... Um, Edward M. Liddy, who is the chairman of the American International Group, which is also known as AIG. And this was uh, dated Wednesday, March 18, 2009, which is today. The government rescue of American International Group, AIG, and other financial firms has produced a palpable wave of anger on the part of Americans and a rising public demand for accountability from corporate and government leaders. The anger is understandable, and I share it. I've been fortunate in more than three decades in business to see firsthand the wealth creation that well-managed American companies bring their employees and their communities. I've seen the good side of capitalism, but over the past six months, since agreeing to take the reins of AIG and reviewing how it was run in prior years, I have also seen instances of the bad side of capitalism. Mistakes were made at AIG and on a scale that a few could have imagined possible. The egregious, the most egregious of those began in 1987. The reason I'm reading this is because High Road just put in the chat room that this has been going on for decades. He actually put in the chat room the present economic conditions have been decades in the making. And I'm, the reason High Road I'm reading this is because I've got a bunch of windows open with a bunch of resources just so I can touch on them during the show. But it's saying right here the most egregious of those began in 1987. I don't know about you, but to me that equates to 22 years ago. And that means Clinton had a hand in it, 
Reagan had a hand in it, uh, and as did the first George Bush, as did our most recent George Bush. Now, out of the four, Bush, Clinton, the other Bush, and now President Barack Obama, but he, we can't even really include him because he hasn't even been on the job for two months. But the last three presidents, well, let's, no, let's even take it further back. Reagan, the first Bush, Clinton, and the second Bush. Let's look at it this way. Reagan, the first Bush, Clinton, the second Bush. Three out of four of those are Republicans who believe in hands-off government. And quiet as it's kept, we all applauded Bill Clinton. Oh, he's our first black president. Bill Clinton is really, I believe, really in the pockets and the hands of a Republican. And I personally have felt over the years that he and his wife share extremely Republican values masked as Democrats. So, and if you really want to take it back to the head, Hillary Clinton was and her family were Republicans before she converted to the Democratic Party. I cannot believe that those alliances and relationships still exist. So if you really want to call it a spade, and, it's, and, the, and the head, the chairman of AIG is saying in print that the most egregious of those began in 1987, we have to look at who's been in office for the last 22 years. So now he's saying that AIG has strayed from its core insurance competencies to launch a credit default swaps portfolio, which eventually became subject to massive collateral calls that created a liquidity crisis for AIG. Basically, they got in the can with so much money, they had no cash. Now, let's go back to what he's saying. I read between the lines. The most egregious of these began in 1987 when the company strayed from its core insurance competencies to launch a credit default swaps portfolio, which eventually became subject to massive collateral calls. Listen to this. Became subject to massive collateral calls. That means people want their money. That created a liquidity crisis for AIG. If that is not the same thing that Bernie Madoff is going to jail for, I don't know what is. The chairman of AIG is telling you, with creating such a high credit default swaps portfolio, eventually led to a massive collateral call. Collateral is what you have, what you hold when you, when you are on the other end of a loan. You always have to back it up with something. But because there were defaults with, the, with this credit swap with all these mortgages, there, that led to massive collateral calls, people wanting their money, that created a liquidity crisis for AIG. It blows my mind that he did not just, what's the word, would incriminate. He just incriminated himself. He just incriminated himself. Hey, drop and seat. I see you just joined me in the chat room. He just incriminated AIG for doing the exact same thing that Bernie Madoff is going to jail for. He just said it. When are we going to start pressing charges? When are charges in, in litigation going to begin against these people? Because right now, when you have the chairman of AIG saying, listen, this debt cost problems, people want their money, it's created a liquidity crisis. And I read to you yesterday, quoting, that he said that they are using this infusion of cash from the government to preserve capital because they have no money. Let me continue with his, with his statement. 
It's missteps that have exacted a high price, not only for the company and its employees, but for the American taxpayer, the federal government's finances, and the global economy. Those missteps brought AIG to the brink of collapse and to the government for help. When I answered the call for help and joined AIG in September 2008, one thing quickly became apparent. The company's overall structure is too complex. Okay, remember we said that yesterday. They've made it so intricate and the things are so woven and interconnected that nobody can even understand it. And it's so bad, I don't even think they understand it, which is why it's difficult for the government to go in and try to break this up because nobody can understand it. The only people that can understand it are the people that created it, and it spirals out of control. Now, nobody gets it. Nobody is getting this right now. So, as I continue to read, so the strategy we continue to pursue in close cooperation with the Federal Reserve and the U.S. Treasury, which in my opinion should be the two entities that oversee this, the Federal Reserve and the U.S. Treasury, is to isolate the value in the company's component parts, capture that value to pay back money owed to the government, and allow AIG's healthy insurance companies to continue to prosper for the benefit of policyholders and taxpayers. Remember, AIG, which is um, the American International Group, is really the umbrella company for a lot of little working parts and a lot of moving parts, which is all of these little sub-insurance companies. Don't forget, all of them are not unprofitable, or, or, or you know, some are more profitable than others. But what also became clear is that once AIG's relationship with the government and taxpayers changed, stands, and that reads, the government took in ownership, our behavior as a company needed to change. This is going back to reading the statement from the chairman of AIG. So not only has he admitted they ran out of cash, he has incriminated himself. Now he's saying that our behavior as a company needed to change once there was government intervention. I can't imagine just as a media person why they would allow him to say such things because he is incriminating himself, which I believe will open himself as well as others up to charges. I don't know if that will be the case, but, I, you know, it just may. So now we have to look really as he continues to say, my annual salary is only a dollar. Big whoop-de-doo. Remember we read yesterday that once he became involved on October 2nd, he said the top seven people of the company will no longer receive raises and the, um, I'm sorry, will no longer receive bonuses and other executives will no longer receive raises. Well, when we look between the lines, he said that the top people in the company will no longer receive uh, raises, but he never mentioned bonus. And when he said the other people will no longer receive, I'm sorry, when he said the top people will no longer receive bonuses, he never referenced raises. And when he said all the other executives will no longer receive raises, we all jumped and cleared, you know, clapped our hands, but he did not say they wouldn't receive bonuses. That's why I'm saying we all people have to really read between the lines of what these people are saying. I don't know if there has to be a class action suit filed on behalf of the citizens. I'm not quite sure. But I'll tell you, my car insurance is through AIG, and the only thing AIG did was change their name and uh, or, or, or their name to some of their – entities to 21st century, but it's still operating under the guise and under the auspices of AIG. 
Okay, let me continue on with um, with the statement from Mr. Liddy, Edward M. Liddy, and, and this is entitled Repairing AIG and Repaying the Public, and it was posted on the Washington Post for those of you who are going to download this show and actually go back and do the research. Here's his statement as it personally addresses the citizens' concerns of what is going on with AIG. I am mindful of the outrage of the American public and of the President's call for a more restrained compensation system. I am also mindful that every decision we make at AIG has consequences for the American taxpayer. We weigh decisions with one priority in mind. Will this action help or hurt our ability to pay, back, to pay money back to the government? Okay, let's let's read this, because don't forget, this came out today, which is in direct contrast to what he said yesterday, which he said their, their priority was to preserve capital. He's saying, although we have wound down to more than $1 trillion in the portfolio of AIG Financial Products Unit, that is at the root of the company's trouble. There remains substantial risk in that portfolio. The financial downside for taxpayers is potentially very large, and that's why we're winding down this business. Now, let's look at this, and, 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 I'm, and I'm breaking this down piece by piece by piece. Just want to give a quick hello to Seren, who joined us in the chat room. Thank you so much for joining us. Good to have you with us today. Let's look at this uh, from another perspective. My son is away at school, and I just found out, he's probably going to kill me for saying this, but his bank account was overdrawn by $13.04, where he spent money, the bank approved the money that he used with his debit card, but yet they charged him a fee. So however that works. Anyway, now his paycheck came in, direct deposit, but it wasn't enough to cover the fee. Okay. So what I did, I went to his bank account, to his bank, and I deposited the $13.04 into his account. And he says to me, I said to him, I said, you need to put me on your bank account because I need to monitor what's going on. You know what he said to me? This is my bank account, and, and I don't want you all in my account. I'm trying to do this on my own. And I looked at him like he had three heads because this speaks directly to the challenge with AIG. My son wants my $13.04. It's all relative but doesn't want me involved in his bank account, doesn't want to add my name to the account. And it's, it's a whole other thing. And I had to sit him down and I said, listen, buddy, you got two choices. Either you're going to add me to the bank account so I can help monitor your finances and monitor what's going on, or you're going to sink on your own. So he opted to put me on account so that way I could check, excuse me, I can check the balance online and all these other things. But is this not the same position that the Obama administration should take? Now, there are conflicting numbers. I don't know if we own 80% or up to 85% of AIG. If anybody's listening and they have um, a specific number, I have not been able to find our exact percentage of ownership within AIG. I just can't seem to find it, and everything is giving me conflicting numbers. But when looking at it from that perspective, no matter what we own, the American people own the lion's share of American International Group. So if, in fact, that's the case, and we are the owners of American International Group, why can we not mandate 
how much we pay and when we're paying it. And I go back to when I said we had to negotiate with all the United Auto Workers and we've negotiated with every other entity in which we have doled money out for their rescue except AIG. Uh, oh, okay, I just got a comment from Siren in the show. It's nice to have found your show. Thank you very much. Thank you. I appreciate the comments, and I hope you, uh, you know, if you feel, call in. I'm always taking calls. My chat room is always open. Uh, so thank you very much for listening in. But um, anyway, let me get back to what Mr. Lydia said, because I'm going through his statement piece by piece. We have to look at where does that leave us now? At what point? Where does that leave the American public, and how much does that mean we should get involved with AIG, what we should do with AIG, and how we should actually handle this whole situation? I know, I, I said to my son, and I said, I need to get involved with your bank account, and that's just the way it is. If you need my money, that's how it's going to go. Anyway, we have to understand that Taxpayers need to know that the government's assistance to AIG has had some beneficial effect. The assistance has provided stability to the company and to the entire financial system. But I think what's happening is AIG is hanging that over our head. It goes back to that same philosophy as it's too big to fail, which is in direct contrast to our belief of capitalism and that, and that we should all live in a free market and continue on with practicing and engaging in what free market enterprise really means. I studied economics, microeconomics, macroeconomics, and, and business in college, and I see so many deficiencies and so many areas for improvement that I find it really hard to believe that there's people out there that are a lot more savvy with finances and manipulating the numbers, but yet nobody seems to get it. Half of these people are lawyers. And I just can't fathom that they just can't get it, or either they're just giving us the biggest snow job possible. Listen to this. Uh, now I'm going to continue on with Edward M. Liddy's response to the American outrage um, about AIG. Hello, D.A. Williams. Thanks so much for joining me in the chat room. Taxpayers should, and this is a quote, taxpayers should also know that AIG has a plan to return the money to the government. We are making progress. We have transferred uh, to the government securities or equity interests that have real value and prospects for future appreciation. Let me reread that sentence. Taxpayers should also know that AIG has a plan to return money to the government, and we are making progress. This is from Edward M. Liddy. We have transferred to the government securities or equity interests that have real value and prospects for future appreciation. Okay. <laughs> I, this is why we're breaking this whole thing down. Basically, he's saying we transferred to the government securities Interest. They're just saying that they have given the government a stake in AIG that have real value and prospects for future appreciation. Basically, they just gave the government a big IOU. That's all it is. And right now, it's probably as worthless as the paper that it's written on. And let me go back. We are selling assets and significantly reducing our risk exposure, which is mortgages, which is why they're and using this government bailout money to preserve capital. We are selling assets and significantly reducing our risk exposure. The business unit that was the source of our greatest losses is being shut down. Last time I checked, that's water under the bridge. 
The business unit that was the source of our greatest losses is being shut down, and we have agreed with the Federal Reserve and the Treasury to pay off AIG's existing loan through a combination of asset transfers, securitization of the cash value of certain life insurance businesses, and cash from the sale of businesses. But remember, who has cash right all of these um, things are inflated. All of these, all of these values are worthless, and they're not even worth the paper that it's printed on. We have to look at what lessons can we draw from AIG's experience. Now, I go back to reading. There must be safeguards against the systemic consequences of failures of large, interconnected financial institutions. There must be safeguards against the systemic consequences of failures of large financial institutions. Where safeguards are lacking, such companies need to be restructured or scaled back so they no longer come close to posing a systemic risk. We have seen all too clearly where the brink lies. Our corporate structures need to be pulled back from that edge. Hi, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, basically what he's saying is there must be safeguards against the systemic consequences. They're saying now, let's look back. Let's fix the problem, but after we pay these bonuses and get ours. You know that whole I got mine attitude? And basically that's what just happened. In America, when you owe people money, you pay them. We're pressing forward with our plan to return the money to taxpayers, protect policyholders, and give employees a vision of success and a path for achieving it. With the understanding and patience of the American people and the continued support of the Federal Reserve and Treasury, we can also resolve AIG's challenges and help its businesses contribute to a global economic recovery. And that's the end of Mr. Liddy's written piece. I, I, I defer this back to everybody and wonder how do we get out of this? How do we, how do we manipulate and how do we move out of what actually happened to what's going on and how we can actually move forward. Because once we look at everything that's going on, we're all in the we're we're all in the brinks of this. We're all in the throes of this. And now I look at it, I've actually done some calculations and it equals and in the numbers I'm getting ready to give are not fact, this is just my ballpark numbers, we have to pay almost $7,000 in taxes, every person who has paid taxes for the next 22 years to get out of, to pay back this money. That is a lot of money. That is a lot of money. And what's happening is people are so incensed that some politicians are actually calling for Timothy Geithner to resign. Republican Connie Mack, who's from Florida, it's amazing how the Republicans are getting very tough right now. But don't forget, I'm not sure if you all are aware, but Timothy Geithner worked for Wall Street. His job before he became the Treasury Secretary was as a Wall Street executive. So how can we, that's almost, how do you say like you have the chickens watching the, um, the chicken coop or the hen watching the hen coop or however it goes? He's actually 
in place to oversee his friends. He's actually positioned to oversee what his friends are doing. And it's really frustrating to have people put in place to oversee, come on, old buddy, come on, old chum. And that's basically what has happened. D.A. Williams puts in the chat room, well, those, well, what those statements say is nothing, and he put nothing in um, capital letters. The technical term for it is called doublespeak. Uh, High Road put trichnology. Basically, that's what it is, and that's why I break down. I mean, ugh, my life has actually become so overwhelmingly consumed with this, it's scary to me sometimes because just one trait of my personality is trying to break down things to their sm to their lowest common denominator or the smallest molecule so that I can understand it. I don't know if it's how my brain works or how I'm wired. I need to understand the very, very, very bottom line, and then I can work my way back up. And in order for me, just an average person, to try to figure this whole thing out, it is so multifaceted. Think of a disco ball. You know how a disco ball has the glass positioned like in all these different slants and angles, but it all makes up a big ball? That's how we're really looking at AIG right now. And when you look at someone like Timothy Geithner, and, and I question, you know, I, President Obama has put these people in place because I believe he feels that they're the best person for the job, for whatever it's worth. But when you look at somebody who has such close ties to Goldman Sachs and Merrill Lynch, and you put them over the Treasury, knowing the situation that they were, that this country is in, it makes you kind of scratch your head and say, huh? It makes you scratch your head and say, what? Because that's really how I'm looking at it, knowing doggone well what was going on in this country. To just put him in charge just actually blows my mind. But I want to read a little bit um, to you very quickly. I'm not going to read the whole piece because, you know, I have so many other things to read. Let me just check really quickly how much time we have left in the show. Let me go back into the switchboard. Okay, we're good. We've, we've, we've got time. That's good. Okay, let me, let me read to you this piece um, where Rep uh, Representative Connie Mack from Florida is the first member that I'm aware of that I, I, I you know, there may be others that um, is calling for Tim Geithner's head. And Although we want to all rally around and say somebody has to be held accountable, somebody has to know what's going on, somebody has to be put on the chopping block, that just may, lead, that just may be because Americans are, uh, we want to see somebody accountable, you want to see somebody fall, but I really don't know if that would be the best situation for this country because all Timothy Geithner is, in my opinion, is a talking head. He doesn't even know what's going on, so we fire him, we get him out, and then what happens? We replace him with another talking head. But anyway, let me, let me go back to what um, Connie Mack is saying. And this statement is said in the spirit of bearing in mind that many Republicans, including Mack, have been sour on the Treasury Secretary from the beginning. And 34 senators, including Mack's fellow Republican, um, Florida Republican Mel Martinez, voted against his confirmation. Uh, D.A. Williams just put in the chat room, I don't think Geithner should be the fall guy. You know what, I don't think Geithner should be the fall guy either because really it's not Geithner's challenge, if, if you want my honest opinion. All Geithner is, in my, in, in my true and honest opinion, is he's a talking head. He's nothing but a figurehead that's put in place 
to to be the face of what's going on right now. And if we fire Geithner, all we're going to do is put somebody else in who's less knowledgeable, who will have to be brought up to speed, thereby increasing the learning curve, and nothing will get done. So, you know, if Geithner is in, let him stay. But firing him or calling for his resignation, I really don't think that's the most prudent thing to do. But anyway, let me just read to you from um, Connie Mack's press release, and then we can discuss it from there. Well, before Timothy Geithner became the Secretary of the Treasury, he was working hand-in-hand -hand with AIG and other financial institutions to provide them hundreds of billions of dollars of taxpayer money as one of the key architects of the financial sector bailout. I was outspoken against the bailouts then, and I'm even more outraged now. I've had serious concerns about Secretary Geithner from the moment he was nominated. In the months since, he has shown us time and again why he was the wrong choice for this critical post. This week's news on, AIG, this week's news on the AIG bonus scandal is but the latest fiasco under his watch, and that he has lost the confidence of the American people. Quite simply, the Timothy Geithner experience has been a disaster. The Treasury Department is in disarray. Taxpayer dollars are being wasted. America's economy hangs in the balance. America needs and deserves a Treasury Secretary who can truly lead us forward. Timothy Geithner should either resign or be fired for the good of the country, and President Obama should nominate a new Treasury Secretary with the experience and leadership skills America deserves. Here is why I totally disagree with that statement. How many of us are parents? You guys hear me, ladies and gentlemen, hear me talk about my kids all the time. I took a lot of advice. I listened to a lot of moms. I listened to my pediatrician, and I listened to a whole host of people. And I took into consideration the advice I received, especially when it comes to discipline and potty training and all these things, but I could not make a decision or act upon the information that was given to me until I was actually in that situation. I did not, with my first child, I did not have the experience of potty training a child. My pediatrician said one thing, the local clinic said another, my mother said another, my mother-in-law said another, and my sisters-in-law all said something else. But it wasn't until the time came for my first son to be potty trained that I really started figuring out what to do on the job. Now, let's look at it this way. Although this whole fiasco and financial bailout system we don't want people learning how to do it on the job. Let's look at it from a very realistic perspective. Have we ever gone through anything like this in our country? Absolutely not, which is why I totally disagree with the press release that Connie Mack sent out that I just read to you because she put, and this is the last paragraph of the press release, Timothy Geithner should, be, should either resign or be fired for the good of the country, and President Obama should nominate a new Treasury Secretary with the experience and leadership skills America deserves. This is bizarre. Who in the world has experience to lead us through this financial 
times when we have never gone through this before. We, don't, we can't even compare this to the Depression because the accounting practices were not as intricate as they are now. Roosevelt didn't have to deal with the same challenges that President Barack Obama is dealing with. And I've actually heard people vent and, and complain and nitpick that President Obama is going to be on Jay Leno tomorrow. So what? At least he's engaging with people. And Roosevelt had his fireside chats and all these other things. But let's look at it this way. I would challenge any of us, any of us to peruse any politicians or executives and get them nominated and see if they actually knew what to do with this, with this financial debacle we're in right now. Right now, nobody knows how to do it, deal with it. Nobody is seasoned and nobody is experienced enough to address it. And, I, and that brings me full circle to the point when um, all of the candidates were running for president, and they all said, I have experience to be president. I, Bill Clinton himself came out and said, nobody is experienced, nobody can say they have the experience to be president unless you've been president before. And I take it back to when I was potty training my son. When my second son came, I knew exactly what to do because I have experienced it before. I lived through it. I knew what to expect. But as a new mom, I was absolutely clueless, and I had to learn on the job. And so I think it's a little disingenuous when Republicans come out and say, oh, we have to uh, get on the ball, and we have to fire Geithner, and we have to get a new Treasury Secretary nominated. That's a bunch of baloney. And basically what's going to happen is they'll use it again against President Obama that he can't nominate the right people because I've already heard them say that, oh, he's had challenges with nominating people. He wants to clean up Washington. The reason he can't nominate any doggone body is because they're all crooked and they all have skeletons in their closet. That's why it's been so challenging for him to fill these cabinet positions. And he started off as, at a point where I want to nominate people that are, that are squeaky clean. And then he realized that I can't find any people that are squeaky clean, so I'll, let me nominate people that at least have a, a blemish. And then that became a challenge, and then he says, okay, let me nominate people with a spot. And then that became a challenge, and now he's back where he started. He has to bring in politicians. All of these politicians have been doing okie-dokie things under the table, passing the money, doing favors, being in bed with lobbyists, literally and figuratively in some cases, and now we're stuck with politics and business as usual. And then we get angry, we get angry, and then we're just saying, well, what in the world are we supposed to do? Before I move on whew, to the next piece, and I promised you I would not be as hasty or incensed as I was yesterday, a uh, big shout-out to everybody who's joining me in the chat room. Thank you very much. That is Sandy. Uh, big shout-out to True, who is joining me, to D.A. Williams, Siren, DSR, Drop a C Radio, High Road. And then we've got listeners in the, um, in the chat room. I've got Curvy Queen, so big shout-out to Celeste, who's listening through um, the chat room. I see Siren just put in her information about her show in the chat room. Um, so, yeah, so take a look at that. Um, I have one more piece to share with everybody. Let me pull it up on my screen right now. Give me one second. And this speaks to, hold on, everybody. This speaks to the White House's uh, 
comments and take on what happened with AIG and how they intend on doing it moving forward. And what this speaks to is that the White House kind of knew. Remember yesterday I gave the timeline of what was going on. The White House knew this was going on, but let's take it back to a few months ago. There was a bill that was scheduled to be that was that was up to be passed into law. If, if we're not familiar how how um, things become a law, refer back to Schoolhouse Rock. If you all remember, remember I'm just a bill. Yes, I'm only a bill. Right. We have to look. Um, at how a bill is presented and, and the actual mechanisms it goes through to pass, which is why people need friends. But anyway, um, Senator Ron Wyden said that he had proposed a bill that could have prevented this AIG mess. And this was introduced more than a month ago. And if you remember our timeline, things really didn't start hitting the fan until March 2nd. Now let me just read to you a little bit of what he said and what the White House's position is on it. And I think it's really worth, I believe it's worth mentioning because what's going to happen is now everybody's going to come out of the woodworks, especially Republicans, saying, we told you so, we told you so, we told you so, but yet not really dealing with the issue that a lot of this was, was, uh, was, was positioned from George Bush, we discussed Bill Clinton when he went along with everything that the first George Bush implemented, and Ronald Reagan from the 80s. So let's let's look at this. Okay, now I'm reading. This is directly from the piece on Senator Ron Wyden. Okay. In a, in a recent interview, the Oregon Democrat noted that during the crafting of the stimulus package, he and his Republican colleague from Maine, which is bipartisan, introduced a provision that would have forced bailout recipients to cap their bonuses at $100,000. Any amount paid above that would have been taxed at 35%. The language made it through the Senate, but during the conference committee with the House, it was inexplicably removed. There we go right there. Remember I just said we have to remember how a bill gets passed into law. Go to YouTube, go to Schoolhouse Rock, and you'll see it. It's also in my book, Politics Remix. I actually include an in-depth look of how a bill becomes a law because we need to understand this and all the intricacies of how stuff manipulates and moves in this country. This is a quote from Wyden. The reality is, had that legislation been passed, it would have been a very strong disincentive to anybody paying out those bonuses in the future, said Wyden. Earlier, the president had denounced that those bonuses had come at the end of the year. And when Senator Snow, which is Olympia Snow, uh, and I said it is not enough for those in elective office to say it was wrong, they, that they have to go and have a plan to pay that money back. We were able to get legislation through the United States Senate. Not a single United States Senator was willing in broad daylight to stand up and oppose our bipartisan amendment, but it died in conference. That's because all of the people that were at that point to negotiate the tenets of that bill are in the hands and have friends who are lobbyists for the banking and financial industry. Looking back, Wyden laments the missed opportunity, saying that it remains unclear who got the language stripped. And he quotes, it did not die by osmosis. 
magical, whimsical, however you want to look at it. Moreover, Wyden says, frankly, the Obama administration should have been better prepared to handle what was an inevitable political train wreck. I go back to what I was saying before. We're looking at this from the perspective of everybody in America wants everything to wrap up in 30 or 60 minutes. That's why law and order has been able to be on the air for so many years, because it starts with a murder or whatever version you're looking at. You know, anybody that's a fan of law and order, such as myself, knows halfway through the show, they're going to figure out who did it, and then the second 30 minutes is going to be the order, the trial and, and allocution or whatever happens the second 30 minutes of the show. And that's why law and order has been able to be successful for almost 20 years, if not more, because it presents everything in a nicely wrapped bow within 60 minutes. And Americans and people like that beginning, middle, and end. This whole situation cannot be wrapped up in a sound bite. It cannot be wrapped up in a nice package and delivered with a bow so people can move on. These are nagging issues that are going to last for many, many, many years to come. I have blogged about it. If you visit my blog, it's um, www.cybrown.blogspot.com. And on my blog, I actually posted the timeline because it's so important and critical to see when this mess started and how it affects us. And also to really look, let's really look at the situation of how this money is going to be paid back. For those of you that are unsure, your taxes are going to go up, whether it's, it's not your taxes going up, services that you're used to are going to be eliminated because this mess has to be paid for. It has to be paid for. We have to be able to, to finance future generations. I look at Social Security. Don't you know, and I, and I actually started talking about this in 2003, and Pastor Montan actually has my book, From Hip Hop to Heaven. Pastor, you can verify, in that book I talk about the elimination of social programs such as Section 8. And this was back in 2003, because you can see the handwriting on the wall. You can see this all happening under the surface. And all of these shenanigans, AIG is not the exception. AIG has been the rule. Companies like Kmart that pull themselves out of bankruptcy are the exception. They are the exception, not AIG. And this is how it's been. I said at the top of the show, because High Road put it in the chat room at the top of the show, this has been going on for years. And the chairman of AIG explicitly stated that this has been going on since 1987 under the reign and direction of Ronald Reagan, then George Bush, then Bill Clinton, and the second Bush. And I have said and will continue to say that Bill Clinton was not as friendly to black people or minorities as they claim to. And a lot of his true sentiments came out on the campaign trail when his wife was competing for the seat to go against a Republican in our last political election. And if you remember what passed under President Bill Clinton, welfare reform. I remember writing my final college paper on welfare reform. 
That passed. It's, I don't know how many of you remember the contract with America. That all happened under Bill Clinton's watch and was spearheaded by Newt Gingrich. If Bill Clinton was so for the people and, and, and so pro-government intervention, that would have never been able to, to pass. I actually have the book. I bought it at the time because I, I did my final paper on it, Contract with America. I thought it was a contract on America, but that's just my two cents. But when you really look at this, we have to look at it from the perspective of, of course, we have to support our president. Of course, we want our president to do well. But we need to, as the show starts to wind down, start taking the necessary provisions for our own financial independence. Let me just read some stuff before I give my closing thoughts on today's show. Oh, wow, there's a lot of stuff in the chat room. Sandy put, wow, this is a great topic, Sai. I'm working and listening. Um, and she put, I have the Schoolhouse Rock video. I actually had to refer back to that Schoolhouse Rock video because um, when I was writing my book, Politics Remix, because I didn't understand. I couldn't remember how a bill becomes a law. But anyway, um, D.A. Williams, Obama is currently giving a press conference mentioning that we cannot allow the administration and Congress being held hostage because of past mistakes over many years. Oh, well. Um, I'm actually, I do Wednesday shows. I'm not in my office or the studio today. I'm actually at the Family Success Center in Jersey City, and that's where I do my show on Wednesdays because I sit in on a mom-to-mom -mom counseling and peer group every Wednesday from 10 to 12. The meeting is from 10 to 12, and I don't have enough time to leave, so I have my laptop and all the gadgets that I need to produce the show with me. So I'm, I'm I, and I share that because in my office I actually, have uh, a television so I can be up to the minute and bring you the latest and breaking information every day at 12 noon. So I have not been in the loop of anything with news since prior to 8 o'clock this morning. I've been in meetings all day and then jumped right to the show. But anyway, um, Sandy just put in the chat room, do you have a link to live streaming? That would be great if we could do live streaming. And just actually for the sake of the show, everybody, I'm really working on making this show so much more interactive so that way as we're – and I know you all are at work uh, and you can't, like, break away, you know, to, to watch, but for those of you who are not at work or who, who have access or are at home and can really listen, um, I really want to make this show as, as – interactive as possible. I want us to get it. It is my absolute prayer. This morning when I got out of bed, I don't always drop to my knees, but this morning when I got out of bed, I dropped right to my knees, and I asked, I thanked God, first of all, for the strength to get up and do what I do every day, but I asked God to work through me to enlighten people, to, 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 to make to use me to be able to ingest this information and disseminate this information in such a way that's easy to break down and understand. I can't break this down in sound bites, um, but I try to relay the information as best I can so you all are able to receive it in the environment in which you're best able to receive it, be it at work, through iTunes, however you receive this information. But it's, it's my sincere prayer that we all become enlightened and aware of what's going on because right now, there's a, I'm, I think I shared with you all that I'm writing another book. It's called Life Remixed, and it's really based on this show, and it's so necessary. We have to know what's going on with globalization, technology, 
and the economy. And be very careful because, as you know, they're considering erasing the borders that exist between Canada, the United States, and Mexico to make us all one, to have one unified money, to make us all part of under the, under, under the same uh, uh, laws and, and constitution. That's the next thing I'm working on. There's a lot of disparities going on and a lot of stuff that's bubbling under the surface. I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but I don't believe anything happens by accident or circumstance. A lot of these things are definitive, and a lot of these things are done with, are perp, are done with such purpose. And you know what? There's a bunch of people. Did anybody hear about the G20 summit that just happened this past weekend? I, I can't get into it now because we just have a couple minutes left in the show, but the G20 summit just happened this weekend. Do you know that they're moving pieces of the global economy around like a chessboard and we're all just, you know, insignificant players? They're using our hard work every single day going to work and bust our butts, and they're taking our money. We're all slaves. Do we all not see that? We are slaves to these world leaders that are really laughing and, and, and jerking off on our backs. Hiro just put in the chat room, he's starting to hear more about NAFTA in public conversation. Yeah, and you know who was the head of NAFTA and spearheaded that? Clinton. NAFTA, for those of you who may not be aware, is the North Atlantic Free Trade Association. Look into that. And everybody that's like Clinton was our first black president, go Clinton, go Clinton. Clinton had his hands up to his elbows in that whole uh, NAFTA, with these NAFTA treaties. I remember when it used to be the G7, yeah, High Road, the same old plantation method, absolutely. DA says this is a very insightful and needful show. Thank you. It's, it's God just working through me, y'all, because I'm just not that smart. I'm reading, yeah, now it's the G20. You know why? Because they've got to bring more people in. Because it's, such, it's done with such intricacies, you have to get certain key people. And you need your core. You need your core people. Watch people. Pay attention, please. And I, I think it's very um, beautiful that High Road put about NAFTA because that does go back to President Clinton. That does go back to a lot of the things that happened under his eight-year watch. How elegant put the owners are the masters and workers are the slaves. Look at the disparities in income benefits to the to large too large of a gap. Absolutely. How many times do you I know so many people working. If I hear one more person tell me I don't get a nickel out of my check. What are you working for if you don't get a nickel out of your check? Something is wrong. And I know so many people, girl, you know I don't get a nickel out of my check. It's, it's absolutely bizarre. And if we don't look at it, why do people work 40 hours a week and don't have a nickel after their check or are living paycheck to paycheck? Something is wrong here. Anyway, we're down to the last couple minutes of the show. I love you all for listening. Thank you for listening to me. Um, again, on Wednesdays, I broadcast live from the Family Success Center in Jersey City. Um, I'm asking for your support. I will start asking for support for the organization as their needs become aware to me. But always remember that we shall pass through this world but once. Any good, therefore, that we can do or any kindness that we can show to any human being, let us do it now. Let us not defer or neglect it, for we shall not pass this way again. Thank you so much for listening. And Hiro just put in the chat room, read The Children of the Matrix by David Icke, I-C-K-E. The book is a real eye-opener. 
DSR says, great show, got to go. I love you. I have to go, too, because I actually have meetings. Thank you all for listening today. Um, uh, uh, Hyro, do me a favor. Put that title of the book in an email to me, and then that way I could shoot it out to everybody. DA, thank you for telling me that this is a great show. I really, really appreciate it. Um, How Elegant says, you all, I will love this show. Oh, yeah, Sandy's show is on tonight, and True's is on tomorrow night. True put love is love in the chat room with big hearts. Thank you, guys. And I'm getting much better about listening to everybody's show. True, I try to listen to yours in the archive. Um, Pastor Montans, I listen to on Saturday mornings. Sandy, I'm starting to become a night person, so I should be able to listen to your show tonight at 10 o'clock. Um, and I think I got everybody to the guests who listened to today's show. Thank you very much. Create a username and passcode, and then that way we can properly acknowledge you in the chat room. I love you all, and I'll see you tomorrow at 12 noon for our weekly Ecclesia Bible study. It's your girl, Cy Brown. Oh, one thing real quick. Go to YouTube, my YouTube page, and you will see my interview with the Kango Kid at Flavor Flav's 50th birthday party. I did put it in the chat. I did put it up on YouTube, and as time avails, I will put more videos up. But, yeah, I did get an interview, and then it's now up on YouTube. I love you all. I'll see you soon. Bye.